welcome to the Recover You podcast with Kyleen and Patrick Terhune. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Welcome everyone to another episode. I'm Kyleen. And I'm Patrick. Still am. <laughs> We're still the same people. Still the same people. Um, all right. So I'm really excited. So this is interesting that we're recording this. I don't know what episode this is, like 15 or something. But the week that we're recording this, episode 7 just came out about choosing your identity and recovery. So if you haven't listened to that already, go back and listen to that because it sort of lays the foundation of what we're going to talk about today. Because in that episode, we were talking about how important it is to choose empowering thoughts and to choose your identity through recovery as, you know, I was an addict, not I am an addict, and how different those can be in your subconscious mind and how your thoughts can impact your behavior and your outcomes. So we're actually going to just dig into that a little bit more today, talking about how making, talking about how you can make empowering choices during recovery and how our thoughts uh, really impact our behaviors and the outcome of what we want in life. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start out with a very controversial statement that we have run our recovery through based on this idea um, and not everybody agrees with us. So if that's you, that's okay. There's no judgment here. Um, there are really, really smart people. There are a lot of people that are therapists and counselors in this area that disagree. And there are a lot of really, really smart people and therapists and counselors in this area that do agree with us. <laughs> We're just going to tell you what we think about this because this has, again, been very empowering. And we think that empowering thought is the way to win, uh, win life, basically. So I believe very firmly that relapse is a choice that you make when you have gotten through the 90 days of sobriety. So essentially, once you have uh, gotten rid of the chemical cascade of all of the uh, addiction, uh, brain chemicals, and, and all of that, you are cognizant enough to make a decision of whether to relapse. And I'll put a little caveat in there. I will say as long as you've hit the 90 days and you have the tools and resources like a support group, like a therapist, like an accountability partner, if all of those things are in place, you get through, you've you've shown that you can get through sobriety without relapsing for 90 days, you have somebody to reach out to, um, you've, you've taken the steps to kind of protect yourself and you relapse, I believe that it's a choice. Now, I'm not saying this to disempower you because a lot of people relapse, right? I'm saying it to empower you because if you know that every decision you make in life is a choice, you can choose differently depending on what you want your outcome to be. So I know this is a touchy subject, but we're going to talk a little bit about this because I want you to feel like you have complete control over your mind, over your thoughts, over your behaviors, because obviously if you're living your life in a way where your uh, behaviors aren't reflecting and the outcome is not reflecting what you actually want, we want to learn how to change that. Mm-hmm. So as somebody on the addict side, did you find that belief to be um, like I was putting you in prison or like I was hurting you? Or did no. you feel like it was very helpful to actually think that way? It was helpful. And and so when I was moving through the 90 days and and uh, you're absolutely right, the chemical piece had, had gone. And, you know, it takes you a long time to work through the traumas and to understand how that contributed to your addiction and or you know the past hurts in your life and you know whatever those things may be so that does take time that does take time to to slowly move through that but i would agree is once you are equipped it's like when if you just first get in a car and nobody's ever told you how to read the speedometer and or the speed limit signs and you just drive crazy all over the place with no education whatsoever um, we, maybe you necessarily, and, and I don't want to get too controversial here, but you know, maybe you can't necessarily be held accountable for speed limits. But once you go through driving school, once somebody kind of coaches you and, and moves you through that, mm-hmm. you may still speed, but it's you understand that there's yeah. a consequence to that. And mm-hmm. so I really think that, you know, as I was moving through it, I didn't want to relapse. I didn't want to do any of that. I was unsure because, you know, I had taken the uh, the screening and, you know, it came out that I was a, I was an addict. You're and, te- there's a test that you take when you go to a CSAT right. that's yeah. basically like, are you a sex addict and what level of a sex addict are right. you? Right. And you were fairly high on the addiction 
scoring yes, yes. and you're saying that that was like ah yeah. what do I do what happens yeah. to my so brain? you don't you know it's it's much like most things you know you don't know about football until you start studying football you don't know about you know building a garden until you start studying mm-hmm. about garden it's the same thing with dic- with addiction mm-hmm. so i didn't know a lot and so as i in early on i knew i i could be I could get into sobriety pretty quick, but I didn't know how it would it would Long hit term. me. Right, yeah. I didn't know whether it would be this crazy thing that would hit. And I'll be honest, I've never in in my and this is not the case for everybody, but in my two plus years of of recovery, I've never had that temptation to do anything. Like never had any of that temptation. I will say, however, that I have been filled with emptiness and sadness. And all of anxiety the things that and the addiction of, used to quote unquote right, medicate or fill. Right, exactly. And so those things, and, and I was always, and I think I'm more aware than I was back then. I think there were some times where I was like, whoa, I'm actually a little bit more. I remember going through my faster scale and thinking I was in anxiety, but I was actually lower than that. But that's just one of those things. And so, you know, would that have led to a, a relapse at some point? I don't know. It's hard to say. You can't really, um, you can't, you can't really guarantee that. But yeah, I, I would say that the, the notion of it being a choice was very powerful to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here are two other ways to think about it too. Behaviors come from what we believe. So if our behaviors and our outcomes are not what we want, we have to change what we believe. So a lot of times with addiction or betrayal, that's actually um, beliefs about who we are as human beings, right? If And an example I give a lot, and I hope I didn't give this in a previous episode, but an example I give a lot is like if, if you have a woman that is overweight, has been overweight her whole life, her family's overweight, her friends are overweight, she does, she's never been, um, you know, a, a healthy weight her whole life, and she sets a goal to become a healthy weight, there's a, probably a lot of times, a belief that she'll never achieve that. And when we actually don't believe that we can achieve something, then we will essentially, in many areas of our life like this, self-sabotage. Because if we don't think that we, if we don't actually think we can accomplish it, we'll find a way that we don't accomplish it or conversely, Mm -hmm. we won't find the way that we can. And so that's very different than someone who has maybe um, lived maybe a a healthy weight and then gained some weight and then knew that they could lose it again. Or if they saw their best friend had lost some weight or, you know, all of these different things. Or if they just believed differently about themselves, like, well, I've never experienced it before, but I know that I can do this and I know that it's possible, right? So there's a bunch of different options within that. And this shows up um, everywhere in our life. Mm-hmm. And another, another way to think about it is, uh, the phrase, essentially we do what we want to do. Now that's going to be really offensive to an addict who's currently relapsing, but here's the reality of the situation. We do what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are relapsing, there's a reason that's happening. And that's really, really important to figure out what that is. It's serving you in some way. And there is a there is a level of you that wants that outcome because if you didn't want that outcome, you wouldn't be doing that behavior, right? Now you may not say I want to relapse, but what what is it that you want? You want the dopamine hit? You want to medicate the pain? You want to avoid the difficulty of feeling anxiety, mm-hmm. um, right? Or you know, name name maybe a few other things that that would be. What is it that they are avoiding? Ah, uh, they're avoiding. You know, a lot of times folks will avoid starting the process of doing things. I hear this a lot. Well, I'm not a journaler. Or uh, I just don't like reaching out and calling other people. Well, there's probably more to that. You know what I mean? Is it, what are you afraid of? You know, you become a journaler. Or did you get made fun of as a little kid because you carried a journal? Well, that goes back you know into the mean? beliefs, right? right like, well, right. I'm not somebody that can do this. Or I have a life experience that has proven that I get made fun of. Or, you know, those those types of things too. Right. So right. really, at the core of everything, if our behaviors are not changing and our habits are not changing, we always have to go to the root emotion and the root belief. Because if that isn't addressed then the behaviors will never change because mm-hmm. it goes it goes like this. Thoughts create our reality. So we always have to start with the thought. So if we have the same thoughts, then we make the same choices, which lead to the same behaviors that then lead to the same experiences right. that lead to the same emotions that then lead to the same thoughts. And then you're in the same cycle continually, right? right. So what if you want to change that, you don't just start with the behavior. You have to go back upstream and actually say, I'm going to have a new thought. I'm going to create a new reality. I'm going to create a new choice that then leads to a new behavior that then creates a new experience that then creates a new emotion. Mm -hmm. And then you've created a different cycle completely. But that process, and this is where I think 
um, we have to be really honest for both the addicted and the betrayed. That process is uncomfortable because our brains like patterns and they like familiarity. So anytime, anytime we're doing something that is new, it will feel uncomfortable until it becomes comfortable. So like going gluten-free like a decade ago is a great example of this. Mm -hmm. We went gluten-free like in 2012 and it was so uncomfortable. Like the first two weeks I was going everywhere I would go. I was like, what the heck is happening? What can I eat? I have to ask everybody 10 million questions (laughs) to figure out, uh, you know, I ate a lot of uh, Oreos back in the day and you know, all this kind of stuff. And um, I had to kind of figure out like, how do I go gluten-free? What does this mean? If I go to a restaurant, what questions do I ask? Right. And it was so overwhelming and uncomfortable. And then about a month in, it became as easy as eating Mm -hmm. uh, the old way with, you know, a quote unquote normal diet. Um, and so I think we have to kind of recognize when we are doing these things, they are hard, but there's a reason we're doing them and we're always going to come up against discomfort anytime. And it doesn't matter how small it is. Anytime we have a new pattern being created in our brain, but that's the cool thing about our brain is that it is, um, there is the neuroplasticity. So we can create these patterns, but they have to be intentional and we have to be willing to go through the discomfort to do it. Well, and I think what's what's important through this whole process, and human beings generally don't do a very good job of this at all, but it's the notion of being strategic. So you have to articulate where is it, where is it that you want to arrive. So, for example, if you just say, um, I want to work out at 4.30 every morning, well, without kind of a goal of, let's say, I want to become healthier and lower my blood pressure. Right, that contributes to the broader goal. So in this case, you know, you could say, I want to be a, a man who lives in integrity and I want to take the steps that help restore my relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to be much more meaningful while you, when you break down the processes of moving through that than to just literally say, I'm not going to relapse because right. you may think, yeah, you think way too short, short in your cycle. You think, well, you know, what you're going into a little bit is kind of why I said, we do what we want to do. So what do you mm-hmm. want more? Right, right. Do you want the life of recovery or do you want the self-medication? Yeah. Right now, someone may be in torment right now going, well, I really, really want to be sober and I keep relapsing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But that's what we're talking about is you have to be brave enough to analyze why are you relapsing? Right. Because if you, I don't want this to sound mean at all because I don't mean it this way. I I really want to empower you with this, this idea. If you don't want it badly enough, you won't do it. Well, that's true of anything. So I think. we have right. right. If you yeah. don't, if you care more about um, lowering your your blood pressure, or you know, than um, than you do about getting the dopamine hit from some ice cream, you'll skip the ice cream that night, right? Or mm-hmm. That's just an example. You know, you went on yeah. Whole Thirty and um, recently, and we talked about that on the podcast mm-hmm. and everything, right? And there was a, a period of time where doing Whole Thirty was more important to you than having a treat. Right. right. And your goal there. And so even though it was very uncomfortable for a period of time, you did that. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, the idea here isn't to say, well, OK, um, you're, you're listening and you're going, well, I'm keep, I keep failing. What do I do? OK, so then you have to go into that thought pattern that we were talking. What thoughts are you thinking? What beliefs about yourself do you have? Do you believe that you can do it? First of all, let's start there. Secondly, what type of a person do you believe that you are? And is that different from the person that you want to be? Mm-hmm. So what you need to do if those are different is you need to start living and acting and behaving and thinking the way the person you want to be would live and act and behave and think. Mm-hmm. And then it's literally, <laughs> it's kind of, it sounds so um, quote unquote easy. It's not, I'm not saying this is easy, but it is in some ways, in some extent, fake it till you make it because you're practicing a new behavior, a new life, a new identity. You're learning how to become that person and step into that. And then eventually it becomes a habit. But we always encourage as well, because this is really, really hard. And there's going to be these self-sabotaging behaviors and these beliefs that you're working with somebody that can help you on a subconscious level, because that's typically where these reside. Mm-hmm. So if we don't deal with that and we don't process some of those beliefs on a really deep level in the brain, then we're probably going to get stuck in the conscious level. And that's where the habits and the patterns keep coming out. Right. Right. So that, there's another idea of, you know, not changing, but wanting a different outcome. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like saying, I hope my life will change. Um, I think I'm going to, I'm going to pray really hard or I'm going to, um, you know, essentially not take any physical action in my life. I'm not going to change my thoughts. I'm not going to change my feelings. I'm not going to change my actions. I'm just going to hope and pray that tomorrow I wake up sober and that's not going to work. 
Yeah, I... I uh, that, that's essentially saying I'm going to keep doing all of the things that got me mm-hmm. where I'm at and hope that the outcome is different. Right, right. Well, you know, a lot of times in our, in our lives, the only structure that's brought into our lives is by belonging to other organizations. So, for example, you grow up in a house and you belong to your mother and father's organization, right? Not your own. And then you go to college and the notion of going to, to classes is that organization. Then you get a job and they expect you to be to work on time and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so you are generally successful because there is a forcing function. Now, there are exceptions. Being an entrepreneur, you have to develop that on your own or else you're not going to be very successful. If you mm-hmm. sleep in and then you don't start working until midnight, you only work an hour, well, you're not going to be a very good entrepreneur. you got to actually really, really put in the time. And the same thing goes with this is if you are if you're willing to go to the meetings or willing to go to the therapist, but un, therefore unwilling to do the other work, well, then you're gonna, you may get some healing, but it's gonna plateau at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And you may learn more about the addiction and you may understand what you're doing. But if you're not willing to say, okay, this time through or for the next five weeks, I'm gonna develop a journaling habit. And I know when, when, when I work with folks, I always say, okay, when? For how long? Get specific. What journal are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and and sometimes you know, like or I'm even a, like being specific for sure, but also um, making sure you're doing it in a way that is going is like able to be consistent in your life. Right, right, yeah. So I'm very, I'm a morning person, and I really enjoy my mornings, and I'm able to get up early and work out and do journaling, and it works very well for me. Some folks need to do it at night. Yeah. Some folks need to do it at lunch. At, at, or even know, like at within work. that, like different types of journaling, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe for somebody it's a guided journal. It's like meditation, right? Some people can do it in their own head. <laughs> right. Some people need guided meditation, mm-hmm. you know. So with journaling, maybe it's like you literally just say, I'm going to write one sentence before I go to bed and it's going to be how I felt today. Right. And then right. maybe some days that spurs you writing like five chapters of a book, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. other days yeah. maybe it's just that one sentence. Well, and, and even beyond that, if you say, hey, I'm going to journal in the morning. But then you leave it at that. You don't mm-hmm. say, you know, and I've even got, done this. I'm like, well, where do you sit for breakfast? Mm-hmm. I sit here. Okay, put yeah. your journal yeah. there the night before and a pen. Right. Don't forget the pen because if you sit down and there is no pen, you're right. going to look at your journal. Yeah, and trying to make it as easy as possible right. when you're developing right. a new habit. Yeah, yeah. it's like take, if you're taking a new supplement, put it right next to mm-hmm. um, the forks that you grab for breakfast. And right. It, yeah, right. Yeah, because you know, and you and I, yeah, you and I have talked about this. There's your calendar. And your calendar is very important, but beyond that is the planning aspect of your calendar. I feel personally attacked right yeah, now. Yeah, you should. <laughs> well, because the, cal- the, well, the calendar is journaling, but yeah. the planning is going like, what's your goal for that week right. in journaling? What's your goal for that week in ca- reaching out to people? And if you don't yeah. have a goal, I'm gonna you're going to flounder around. I'm going to take full responsibility here. You know why I don't do the calendar? Why? Because I don't want it enough. And if That's I'm following right. my own rule, I do what I want, and I don't want that enough to actually yeah. make it happen. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> And well, I think I think part of it too is is you haven't necessarily suffered a consequence of it. Right. Sometimes consequences can be an incredible motivator. So you know, in, in my life, you know, the consequence, the potential, con- you know, the the actual consequence at the moment of discovery was separation from you. You know, hurt from you, me recognizing what what my behavior had done. That is a consequence, mm-hmm. and then the potential consequence of of relapsing, which was a boundary of yours, was divorce. And so, you know, you and I had talked about this. I wanted, if that ever came to to to, to pass, I wanted it to be your decision based on previous behavior, not current behavior. And so, in order to, that was a vision, right? That's a that's mm-hmm. a vision I articulated. And so, I went about trying to to live into that vision. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that that's what was what was important for me for me to do that. And I think it helped me because I was able to figure that out yeah. relatively early. So one of so we are energetic beings, mm-hmm. right? We're gonna just get woo for just a second. Except that it's not, it's science now. Like how do you know science how, woo? <laughs> science woo science. And, I mean how, you know, we know that we are beings of electricity. That's why EKGs work, you know. And um, if you put your hand at the end of a circuit, the light bulb will light up, right? Like we know that. Um, well, if you've ever walked into a room and you get a vibe from somebody, you, you might also realize and feel just naturally, intuitively that we are beings that um, are energetic. We give off an energy and we feel uh, each other's energy. And so what happens is we're actually, from our physical being, we radiate 
uh, a, a, an orb of energy outside of us and people can feel that. Well, we, you know, interact with our own energy as well, of course, mm-hmm. and but we create our own energy. And that's what's most important about what I'm trying to say here. And that is the biggest way that we can change our energy field is to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And what I think we see a lot in, in um, individuals that struggle is when they're waffling between where they are and where they want to be and they just don't feel like they can make a decision for whatever reason. And it's literally, it, it is literally the moment that the decision is made. I will do this. I will be this. Like, and there's no doubt in your mind. That's the moment that you succeed. Mm-hmm. And we hear stories about this, right? We just listened to one of the Pure Desire podcasts and the guy was like, you know, the first year I was like running groups and I was, um, I was participating and I was doing this and I was doing that and I kept relapsing. It was in his third year, there was essentially some sort of internal shift, some internal decision that was made. He started taking it seriously. He started doing all of the journaling. All the work. He yeah. started, you know, doing the emotional stuff. He started actually processing. And it was as soon as he made that decision, he got into recovery. Right. And he right. was not relapsing anymore. Now it's been a decade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see this too um, in in um, in this world as well, where uh I, I, you know, I don't want to relapse. I, I want to save my marriage. I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, okay, cool. Have you put a blocker on your phone? Well, no, I haven't done that. Right, you know, okay. Right. Well, you're making a decision in that moment. Mm-hmm. The decision that you're making is to keep the door open. Right, right. That's a dangerous decision mm-hmm. because with addiction, you leave that door 1% open, that means it can swing open 100%. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You the, the door needs to be thoroughly locked that when when you turn into, you know, is it Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde? I'm not quite sure yeah, which, which one's one. Which? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're and you're you got superhuman strength and you're, you know, you're you're activated that it, it stops you. Mm-hmm. That's that that that's the type of blocker or system yeah. you have to have. Yeah, I mean, I think that analogy is really important because, um, you know, when I talk to women and when you talk to men, I mean, we hear this pattern a lot, and it's it's always that that door is still open. It's always whenever someone relapses, it's because the door has been left open. There's some stone that has been unturned, and it always goes back to when I talk to women. This is what I tell them, and this is why you know I'm talking about it on the podcast because this is what I say to women actually going through this is when your husband relapses the process that needs to be taken is that he has to ask himself, why did that happen? Mm-hmm. Why did, because there was a reason. It does not just fall out of the air into his lap. There are a sequence of choices. And I think, and again, people disagree with me on this word sometimes, but you, I believe that men are more than monkey brains. And when you have gone past the 90 days, you have the capability to make a decision. And you make choices and to, in order to actually fully relapse, no matter what version of the addiction you have, there is a series of choices that is made. Choice number one sometimes is that the blocker was never put on the phone. So it's ease of access. That's choice number one. Choice number two, I didn't call somebody. I didn't reach out. Choice number three, I called somebody. I ignored it. I didn't actually deal with my emotions with them. I wasn't vulnerable with them on the phone. I didn't actually get the support I needed because I wasn't willing to fully express what I needed. I got off the phone and I relapsed, you know, choice number four, whatever we're on, you Mm -hmm. know, is, um, I don't reach out to anybody, you know, um, I just go right in. There's a series of choices. Okay. Well, I opened my laptop. Well, then I went into the bathroom. Well, then I did this. Well, then I did that. Well, then, you know, um, I also think too, like, and this is, this is what's, um, important is if you, if you feel like, if you feel like this behavior is no big deal, then you're not going to get in and do, do the thing. So, like I, I know myself. I hated the behavior. Mm-hmm. Hated it. Mm-hmm. D- didn't want to be doing it. And I know that was a powerful motivator for mm-hmm. me. And so once once we got into this recovery cycle, and I was hit with the aha that wow, there's actually a process that I can follow. Mm-hmm. Then you felt better. I can imagine, and, and it might be what we see and what we hear is you know the wife makes the the, the guy go to the group. Or you know whatever that may be, uh, you know the man thinks, or the or the betrayer feels like I don't know what the big deal is. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to have success there. I think that goes back to your notion of what are your thoughts, what are your beliefs, mm-hmm. and things like that. So you know, there's a little bit of a of a you know how how painful is it for you? You well, know, yeah, ha- yeah, have again, you reached that level of pain? We do what we want and what we're right. comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, the unfortunate reality, and this goes for betrayed partners as well. There's often a level of comfort in our discomfort. Mm-hmm. So there will be phases through the healing process with betrayed partners where it will be very easy for us to plateau because it's more comfortable than the previous phase was, even if it's still not where we want to be. 
Mm-hmm. And if we're not careful about that, we won't keep moving forward because it's scary to process the emotions that it takes in order to reach the next step. Right. And I mean, that's stuff that we've been talking about this week. Like we keep going up these stair steps of recovery together and mm-hmm. trying to get, you know, build on our relationship and continue to grow. And even within this week, you know, we've, we've had some frustrating emotions and trying to communicate like this is scary mm-hmm. in order to process what is still holding us back from getting us to where we want to be. It literally requires facing fear. Right. Yeah. And, we were talking about that last night and being yeah. able to move through it and process it. And that takes a lot of courage. So throughout this, while we're saying, Hey, it's a choice, Hey, it's a decision. You, t- you take action on things that you actually want. We're not saying that's easy. Mm-mm. And we're not, we're also not trying to shame you at all. What we're trying to do is say, if you are in agony right now and you feel like you don't have a choice in this life, I want to empower you and say, you can wake up tomorrow or before you even go to bed tonight and say, I have a choice. This is who I'm choosing to be. I choose to be somebody who behaves like this. This, you know, you literally start thinking and behaving and emoting as if uh, you were the person that you wanted to be. And it's going to feel weird at first. It's going to feel awkward at first. It takes yeah. practice. Yep. But one of the things uh, they talk about with meditation is that you are literally envisioning a life that you want. You are emotionally feeling the feelings of that life before that life has actually happened. So what you're doing is you're putting your brain and your body and your emotions into the state of being of the outcome that you want before you've actually experienced the outcome. Mm -hmm. So if you've never experienced, it's just a silly example, but if you've never experienced, um, uh, wealth, let's say abundance, right? Or the feeling of abundance. And you are an entrepreneur that wants to work into that feeling of abundance. Well, in the visualization, you can even ask yourself, if you've never experienced that emotion, it's like, ask yourself, well, what would that feel like? Mm-hmm. And how does that feel in my body? Where do I feel that in my body? Mm-hmm. So even if you don't know, like, let's say you're struggling in, in addiction right now, what, um, what does recovery feel like? Well, take a minute and just close your eyes and envision yourself in two years in full recovery. What does that feel like? Mm -hmm. What does that feel like in your body? And just start practicing that. How do I feel? How would that person think? Mm -hmm. How would that person feel? How would that person behave? And then you're doing this visualization where you're literally walking through the life as someone in recovery, doing the things that they would do, thinking the things, feeling the things, seeing the things, engaging with maybe different people. You can come out of that visualization And then maybe even have an aha of like, oh, well, this is motivating for me to do X, Y, Z. Or, you know, I had an inspirational uh, understanding of what my life might look like. And that motivates me to do this, right? And the betrayed partner can do this too. Really, anyone that wants to accomplish anything can do this in any area of your life. And that is visualizing your best self. Who is your best self? What do they look like? What do they wear? Who do they interact with? Um, what thoughts do they think? What feelings do they feel? And then mm-hmm. just take the time through the visualization to actually allow those sensations to come into your body. And if you're struggling with one, just pause for a minute and ask yourself, well, what would that feel like if I could feel it? Right. I know that sounds silly, but your brain will go there. If you go, what would, what would this feel like if I could feel it? It will actually bring you into that place and you'll feel some shifts. And the more you practice feeling the things that you're not used to feeling, the more they become to feel normal. And the more you start to pull proof of those things because you're changing your beliefs, you're changing your filter, you're actually starting to believe that you can accomplish these things. So now you're behaving differently. You have different habits. You're starting to wake up in the morning and be like, no, I'm I'm this person. I'm mm-hmm. identifying more with this self than my old self. Right. And then every time you hit a new plateau, you can do that exercise again and start moving into that next phase. Well, who do I want to be? If I'm not happy now, what does that look like? I did a similar uh, exercise when I was running the plants. When I was running the plants, and it was a couple of years ago, and I didn't like... I didn't like who we were as a plant, and I remember writing on the board, and I'm going to paraphrase it heavily, but uh, it was essentially I want to I want to have an you know I want our organization to uh, be an organization that meets it meets and exceeds its goals and does so professionally, mm-hmm. and so that was my vision. And and what's interesting is it's happened. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now there were a lot of things that didn't go right at days, and there were things that go went great, um, but it, it created an aligning field for for me to move the organization in that direction. And so I, you know, relating it back to addiction, I do remember thinking that, thinking like, wow, like when I think hear about people who had hit six years, seven years, yeah. you know, whatever. And I was like, well, this is how that would look to me. It would be me going through life, um, 
unencumbered and able to make good decisions and not doing anything that would be called into account or called to question. Mm -hmm. And uh, my life being um, open and people could, you know, come in and look at me and, Mm -hmm. you know, be do your worst, you know what I mean? That that sort of thing. So I I do remember going through that. I don't think it was deliberate as lying down and and meditating through it, but I remember thinking that. And it was hard at times. I mean, it was hard to, because you were like, man, is this really going to happen? You know, and stuff like that. But well, it was, that's, And yeah. that's the thing. It's like however you need to do that, journal that out. Sometimes mm-hmm. for a lot of people, the visualization exercise can be really right, powerful right, yep. because you're actually thinking through, like, what is my highest, best version of me? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like and feel like? And you're actually, like, getting it into your body. But for some people, it might be journaling that. Um, it might be kind of what you're talking about is almost like creating a mission statement or a Mm -hmm. vision for your life or for your personhood or for your business or whatever. Right. And, um, yeah, basically what you're doing is creating a vision for the future and then saying, okay, well, I'm going to be that person. Just like we talked about in episode seven, when you say I am statements, your subconscious responds to that on a Mm -hmm. deep physical level. So if you're constantly saying I'm an addict, you on some level believe that, Mm -hmm. but if you say I am a man of integrity, then, you know, it may take a little while for you, for every cell in your body to get on board with that. Right. But the more you visualize it, feel it, experience it, and make choices in alignment with that belief, the mm-hmm. more you'll become that person. Right. And eventually you'll say that with total confidence and you'll say, I am a man of recovery or uh, I am a man of integrity. Right. right? right. And, and, and another aspect to that on my side, because you're talking about meditation and visualization, I keep talking about like statements and yeah. things like that. But, you know, the, there's actually um, evidence out there that says you're 70% more likely to achieve something when you write it down. Mm. And so think about that, 70%. I mean, that's not 10%, right? That's 70%. How many times in life do we have 70% odds that, that things are going to go well? I think it's pretty pretty low. I don't think we run into that in a lot of things. So think about that as you're kind of formulating your vision, and and as you meditate, it maybe you roll up from the meditation mat and you uh, yeah. and, and and you write that sucker down because I'm, I'm that's thinking, really important. I'm thinking bonus episode meditation. We're gonna do a guided meditation. Yeah, you'll lead me through one. <laughs> Now I think I because I do this I create um, meditations for my clients I think maybe mm-hmm. that that should be like a bonus mini episode is mm-hmm. like a fifteen minute visualization of exactly what we just talked about I'll create right. that we'll we'll release that and you guys can actually go through that and then the thing is that and that's what's encouraged after that visualization is exactly that you journal it out right you come off of that and you just process exactly right. what you're because what you're doing in that is allowing your subconscious to tell you here's the reality you want are you ready for the are you ready for the mic drop here yes. When you go through that meditation visualization of that best version of yourself, that is actually who you are. Ah, What your subconscious is bringing up is you without all of the limiting decisions, beliefs, traumas, pain, all all of those things. And so that is how powerful your mind is. You do a visualization like that, you actually get to tap in who you're meant to be Mm -hmm. without all of the stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Okay. I like the way you pronounce your stuff. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. It's a clean episode. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we are marked as explicit. I guess I could swear. But anyway, that's not the point here. Okay. So I did want to bring this. We mentioned this in some other episodes. I really don't think we can over mention it. There's a book called The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Gregoire. And there is a chart in here that I think is the best chart ever to be made when it comes to talking about this. So she starts, What page is it on in the book? It's on page 82 and 83. Page 82 and 83 in, anybody, in the book, in The, the book, Great Sex Rescue. In case anybody doesn't have this book, you should go buy it immediately. All right, so what she has on page 82 is a chart called the fear-based model of arousal and lust, and this is typically what we're taught in society and church and culture and, and everything, and that is like the first stair step, there is a woman which immediately leads you to the second stair step, you notice her body, which then leads you immediately. There's no stopping on this one. You can't not, you can't stop on one of these stair steps. You just Mm -hmm. can't. So there's a woman, you notice her body, which immediately moves you into, you find her attractive, which immediately moves you into, you feel tempted to lust after her, which immediately moves you right into lust. And there's no, there's no getting off that train. That's the way we're taught that it works. You basically see a woman and boom, you're visualizing her naked, right? And so that's what we're taught is like how the brain works. That's the most disempowering, stupid belief I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it really, 
That's a technical uh, evaluation there. <laughs> oh, it makes me so angry. It really does. I mean, she's not really that angry. No, right now. it really. She's le- really angry it right now. Legitimately, <laughs> you know why? Because, like I said earlier, I believe, I I believe more in men than that. I think I think you know all of us are capable ha- of objectification. Oh sure, and yeah, so we can do that you too. don't have to. You know, the, the whole lesson from all of this is you don't have to objectify other people. No. to move through life and comfort your pains. It's not a requirement. Well, and that's what I'm saying is like we're basically taught like this is just the way your brain works. Right. I think so much more highly of men as human beings, as complex individuals, as intelligent spiritual beings that that's not how you're created. That That is a habit, habit that is a pattern, but that's not who you are. Which, again, going back to the idea of this whole episode, making empowering choices, you can choose not to be that person, mm-hmm. even if that's been your habit your whole life. Because that's, that's right. and this goes into a whole other conversation I think we've already talked about, but, you know, culture and society kind of leading us to believe that, right? But it's not. It's, it's garbage. So on page 83, she has a different chart that I absolutely love. And it basically goes, you know, stair step one, there is a woman and it immediately has an arrow to think nothing more of it and go on with your day. Then you move on to the next one. Okay, so you notice her body. Okay, great. Think nothing more of it and go on with your day. Okay, well, you find her attractive. Great. Think nothing more of it and go on with your day. Or you feel tempted to lust after her. Awesome. Think nothing more of it and go on with your day. It's only when you get to the last step, okay, well, I'm going to lust after this person, that you're in you're in a problem. Because here's the, here's the reality. Everybody has intrusive thoughts. Everybody looks at people and notices what they look like. Everybody looks at people and goes, oh, that's a, a, an attractive person or a pretty person or, or they have a striking feature or whatever. Mm-hmm. It is what it mm-hmm. is. Everybody on the face of the planet is going to look and observe, look at and observe people, period. Right. It's what you choose to do with that information. And mm-hmm. that is that is critical. And that's what we're talking about. That final step is a choice that we make of what we're going to do with that thought. Right. Right. Now, caveat here, because as someone who has struggled with intrusive thoughts, sometimes people get intrusive thoughts and they're not what you want. You did not consciously choose to go through that pattern. Right. And you have this thought that just pops up in your brain. You didn't follow that stair step. You just, it just pops in your brain. Right. That's when you go, that goes back to the identity piece that we've been talking about. Who am I? Who am I choosing to be? When you are in full alignment with that and that thought disagrees with that alignment, you can easily say, that's not who I am. And when you're able to easily say, that's not who I am, then that thought just flows right through. It's moving through it. The more we resist it and fight it and Mm -hmm. are afraid of it, the more it will loop over and over and over in our brain. So again, it's the empowerment piece of I know who I am. I know the choices I'm going to make. My thoughts don't control me. I control my thoughts. That then allows, it doesn't really matter what pops into our brain. Oh, that woman's really pretty and I find her really attractive and now I'm moving on to something else. Yeah, let's go into the thoughts piece because you just hit it there and I want to make sure people understand it. You're not responsible for what pops in your head. Right. I think some people would define that as a thought. But that's what your your, uh, thoughts are is when you start to ruminate on things. You really start to spend some time in that moment. That's a thought. The, the looping. Right, the looping and stuff like that. So that at that point, you have a choice. Because, you know, a lot of times what, what certain you know, organizations will do is like, oh, you lusted after her? Well, stop it. You shouldn't have done that. And and that may not necessarily work. You may have to say, okay, why why did that happen to me on this particular thing? Mm-hmm. Was I lonely? Was I, like, like was there something that I haven't processed through? Did somebody hurt me? Or is it, and, like, such a, a, a pattern and mm-hmm. a habit that, like, that's right. just easy because that's what's comfortable to your brain at which point you start doing things like pattern interrupts Mm -hmm. you catch yourself right and there's a bunch of different resources of how to do that like silly things from having a rubber band on your wrist to um having a silly picture four seven eight breathing techniques and stuff you can do deep breathing right anything that interrupts the pattern of thought right Mm -hmm. you can literally like clap your hands really loud like right anything that in your case you could go for like an eight mile run That is such a rude pattern interrupt. I am so offended by that comment. What he's saying, if you didn't get that, is that I never run. And he's like, you could change your pattern by being a runner, Kylie. Like, you know what, Patrick? I lift heavy weights, okay? I go okay. to the gym twice a week. If you'd like to do that, that would be your pattern interrupt. How's I that? can do it. You can do it. <laughs> okay, now I'm totally distracted. See? Brain interrupt. I yep, don't even there you know. Go. Where Bring we it back. Bring it back. 
Um, okay, so pattern interrupts are kind of how you can get out of those if if it's a habit, right? But we're, we're talking about things that just pop up. And I think one of the other things that happens within especially religious and Christian communities is this idea that, oh, I found somebody attractive. I'm a horrible human being. How could I go there? There's a level of normalcy that we need to not guilt people for, especially when they are recovering addicts. That's right. That's because right. that is going to trigger the shame spiral and make it so much worse that then turns it into a rumination and an OCD kind of looping intrusive thought pattern that they're afraid of because they're associating it with them being a bad person. They're associating it with their addiction and they're associating it with shame, which guess what is then going to trigger the same behaviors as the addiction versus if you go into, this is not who I am. I'm not going to allow this to bother me. I'm going to start pattern interrupting and the shame spiral is stopped in its tracks then that pattern begins to dissipate because it's like, oh, I, the pattern is like, oh, I don't really have power here anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't really have a foothold here anymore. Oh, he's building a new train tracks in his brain, a new pattern in his brain over mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's being actively worked on, actively cared for, actively sought and pursued. Right. And so the idea here is it's not that it's easy, but it's it's doable. And it's a choice that we can make to shift from one to the other. But it always is going to go back to that ultimate question of what is it that you actually want the most in life? Mm-hmm. Is it that you want a new identity? You want a certain outcome? Or are we really, really, and this there's no shame in this. It's just something worth asking yourself. Is it more important to avoid the pain of processing some deep traumas, wounds, and emotions. Cause that's, I think where a lot of people get stuck and I get it. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. been hard for me on my journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really uncomfortable to sit there and feel that it's really uncomfortable to say, I've got, I'm, I'm resentful right now. Why am I resentful? Mm-hmm. And, and are my reasons for being resentful valid? Yeah. And, you know, is there something that I need to work through with that? Is there somebody that I need to create a boundary with? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, even even the addict is allowed to set boundaries, but we got to be careful in, in how that works because it's, you know, it's it, it, in, in a relationship, you've got to have healthy boundaries between the both of you. But the addict, as they heal, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's some boundaries with some friends that is in a healthy relationship or some family members, you know, that, that you know, the, the, the maybe some dysfunctional relationships within the family that in order for your healing to continue to take place, you're going to have to establish something. So I'm going to wrap up with two examples of how this shows up in life. We talked about the chart of, hey, you can find this woman attractive, all this kind of stuff. And you have an actual story of someone that you showed this chart to mm-hmm. that this, this process of changing their brain pattern, basically showing them this chart said to that individual, you have a choice. It, right. which is incredibly empowering. And that's the whole point. And I hope that the, with all this conversation, that's you what's do. coming through, that you have a choice and that empowers you to accomplish whatever it is that you want in life. It's your choice. Right. And so walk us through the story of how this showed up in, in this guy's life. So I, I believe the, uh, the the gentleman was traveling and um, uh, was concerned about something and and something, somebody kind of passed into his field of view. Uh, you know, essentially, oh, well, and, he found a woman attractive, right? Right, and he he uh, and I and that's why I actually started showing this in the, in the groups because before that, people would get super triggered and they would you know go get in their car and drive it into a bridge abutment, you know, and stuff like that. But, <laughs> you well, I yes, I was like, oh my gosh, you have to send, you should send this to every single yeah. group. You need to send this every single because we would hear these stories right. and I'm like you need to empower them. You need to empower, show them yeah. that this is yeah. possible. But he said in his check, and he was like, but then I remembered. From what you showed, that I had a choice, and and so he he just yeah he moved. specifically said I think that hey I remembered the chart you showed right, me right he did yeah and that chart let me know that I could do something different right and that it, it wasn't scary it empowered him yeah because his initial thought was oh this is scary what's going to happen my brain's going to go here mm-hmm. and then he remembered the chart and said well my brain doesn't have to go there and then he moved on with his life and he was right. fine right right exactly. that, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think that's like the coolest thing because that's the idea of these resources is, hey, like you have a choice. It helps you reframe. Yeah. So um, the final example is one from the Bible, and that is Joseph running from Potiphar's wife. So, uh, you know, she's in a position of power. She may have been very beautiful. We don't know. It doesn't really talk about that. But she was certainly um, in a position where she could and did for a while ruin his life, right, if he uh, rejected her. Mm -hmm. And um, 
many other situations in the Bible have people failing left and right in these areas. But we are given Joseph an example of someone who literally um, ran away, fleed from sexual temptation. Mm -hmm. And so the what I wanted to kind of talk about here is the idea that fleeing, dep- de- the outcome of fleeing depends on your identity choice. So this can be if you are fleeing out of fear, the addiction has control over me, sex has control over me, this woman has control over me, and you're running out of fear, that's a very disempowering choice. Mm-hmm. But what I think Joseph was doing in the example that we have is he knew who he was. He's a man of integrity. His identity was rooted within that. And so fleeing was actually an empowering decision for him. Mm-hmm. And that is, I'm going to do the right thing. Um, it may be uncomfortable, but I'm going to move forward because I know who I am. I'm going to get myself out of this situation. So yeah. that way, and he knew he wouldn't do anything wrong. He wanted to just create separation. Right. So we want to wrap this up with the idea that um, you are loved, you are valuable. If you mm-hmm. are in a, whether you're in a uh, in an addiction or you are a betrayed spouse, if you are in a pattern that you are not happy with right now, emotionally, physically, mentally, whatever, we want to empower you with the fact that this can change at any time. And we're not saying it's easy, nope. but we are saying that it's doable. Mm-hmm. We have both done it multiple times over the past several years where we have face really, 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 we don't want to do it. We never want to do it. It's never comfortable. Mm-mm. Every single time we've done it, it has been a conscious choice to make a decision to step into an identity and a vision of our lives that we want more than the identity and the current state that we're in every single time. And we've used the tools and resources, the therapy, the subconscious reprogramming, the EMDR, all these tools to actually get there. But it first starts with a decision that says, I want to become this. This is my new identity. I want this for my future. And I'm willing, literally, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Right. You know, I, I, I and you're right about this. Everybody's healing journey is different. And, and people have different, people arrive at some things quicker than others. And some people, it takes a little bit longer. And some people relapse and some don't. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're committed to recovery, that's just part of your recovery journey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think as we were talking about relapse at the beginning here, you know, we don't want to shame anybody who right. has relapsed because that just means you haven't, you, you're still searching. You're still looking for that, that particular process or that healing activity that's mm-hmm. going to kind of start to bring you um, a little bit more, I guess, solid identity of who you are. And so through the through this process, um, I know one of the things that I realized I was asking myself every morning was what would it take me to relapse? And I don't think I recognized it in the first year, but more and more I'll, I'll think about that. Like what would it actually take me to relapse? Mm-hmm. And I haven't found it yet, you know what I mean? Because I, I don't think there's anything that would, you know, I think, I think the example I used was, was massive family tragedy um, coupled with loss of job or some you know some sort of crazy My life is literally over yeah, yeah like it's you know almost like a job situation but I think even even in that situation now with what I've learned you know that wouldn't do it now once again that doesn't mean that everybody would be that way that's my own personal question and right. so I think I think that's a that's a that's a good question that you can ask yourself what would it take me to relapse because then you're being proactive right. Yeah, I think that's really important. So a couple questions to think about if you are in a place where you're not comfortable right now. One, what is the behavior giving me? Which might be a triggering question, but it's giving mm-hmm. you something. Right. We don't do behaviors that don't give us some yeah. sort of the attic has a seat. The attic uh, system has a, has a seat at the table, at right. your table. So if we're engaging behaviors that we don't like, <laughs> chewing gum, not drinking enough water, like it doesn't really matter what it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this yeah. can be, apply to anybody. If we're engaging in a behavior that we do not like, what is that behavior giving us that we're not getting elsewhere? Question number one. Question number two. What is a healthy alternative to um, resolve that uh, desire, need, emotion, whatever, right? So if you go, well, I do this because it is calms my anxiety, well, is there a healthy alternative to that? Could you replace this with something? Is there a healthy replacement? Um, And then, you know, really beginning to do the deep work of like, well, when I 
act out? How does it make me feel? And I don't just mean like, okay, well, I feel shame. I feel guilt, all this kind of stuff afterward. In the moment, how does it make you feel? Because if you're honest about that, then you're going to be able to start answering the question of why do I do this? What am I getting out of it? How is it making me feel? Mm-hmm. What is its purpose? What is it medicating? Why is it here? There's a, every emotion, every behavior is here for a reason. Right. And if we're able to respect that and be honest with it, then we can start moving through it. Right. If we're still rejecting that part that's doing this and we're rejecting and saying, well, no, 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 no. It's just, you know, there's, there's no validity to this. Mm-hmm. Then we're not going to get to the root of it and the behavior is going to continue. Right. But if you're willing to say, okay, why is this here? There's a reason that it's here. It's trying to help me do something. It's trying to protect me. It's trying to, you know, whatever it is for you. It's going to be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Then you can start asking these questions. Okay, well, is there a replacement? And if there's something that you come up against that says, you know, I just really have this belief that I am an addict or I really have this belief that I am just a horrible person who doesn't deserve anything good in life or I really have this belief that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. Something bad will always happen. Right, right. Or it doesn't matter what I do. No one will ever love me. I can never accomplish this beneficial thing in my life that I actually want, right? Mm -hmm. It's when you are willing to be that honest with yourself that you can begin to take the actions to change those beliefs. But we have to identify them first. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want to encourage you to do. Um, Anything else about making empowering choices during recovery? Oh, I think I think the final thing, and you had you had mentioned this to me early on, and I share it as well because I think it's really good, and I think it kind of can can translate to other areas. Is the notion of can't versus don't? So, you know, I can't look at I can't look at pornography. You know, it's not a very empowering statement. Versus, I don't look at pornography. I don't, you know, I don't lust after other people. Versus, I can't look lust after yeah. other people, or else or else my wife will kill me. Right? I mean, like, like that's not very empowering. It's got to be for you. It goes right. into the identity piece. Who are you? Who do you want to be? Why are you making these choices? And it, it if you're not quite there yet, that's okay. Start practicing it. Mm-hmm. You yep. know? And if, what would you say if somebody, like, is in the cycle of relapsing? I would, you know, I'm assuming you would just say, take that and ask these questions that we're talking about. Yeah, Use yeah. Use it to your advantage. Right, of, right. If understand, you're really, understand why you got there. What was yeah. going on? And sometimes people go, oh, nothing was going on. It just happened. But as they start to think think it through and, and really slow themselves yeah. down, and th- they always come up with a There's reason. There's a reason. Always. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, we hope that this was encouraging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we really, uh, this, is, this is a heavy topic because, again, not everyone views it this way. Not everybody uses the same terminology we do. But there's a reason that we use these words. There's a reason that we think this and feel this way um, because, ultimately, I do think it empowers you to recognize that you're in control of your life. And that means that if you're brave and will and have the resources, I want to make that caveat. If you have the tools and resources and you're using them, that you can create these new patterns, these new habits, these new identities, mm-hmm. these new choices. And essentially, you can create a life that is in complete alignment with who you want to be, totally empowering and fulfilling moving forward. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, it would mean so much if you leave a five-star review or post a screenshot and share on social media. We are on a mission to share the message of recovery and you can help get the word out. If you know a friend who could use this podcast, please share it.